Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Speaking of children, for those of you who recently have brought children into the world, or will be uh, soon, or maybe you're in the midst of raising uh, infants, toddlers, as they become verbal, and their verbal skills develop, of course, there are certain words that you will hear a lot. That is, why? Yeah. And how come? Why? And how come? And um, to the point that I know some of you will resort to um, the answer, because I, <laughs> because I said so. Why and how come? This morning, our message as we continue our study on the life of Moses is really built around, well, the sermon says, why? Why? And there are three instances that we want to look at, particularly in this passage this morning, of why. Why? How come? Why? Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word. We pray that your hearts, our hearts would be open to your heart today. And that as we've sung this morning, Lord, and our hearts have been opened to the music, to the words of these songs, uh, some some person inspired by you penned those words, some very, very old songs, some new songs, but they reflected their their thoughts, their relationship, their worship of you. And we have joined them in that worship today. And we join the countless brothers and sisters around the world who gather today and have gathered already and will be gathering around your word to worship you, to be encouraged, and to live according to your word. To that end, we give you these next few moments in Christ our Savior's name. We invite your presence. Amen. Why? The first why. This morning we were in Exodus chapter 3 and uh, 4. And we considered the, um, the call of Moses in Sunday school. If you're here, if you weren't here in Sunday school this morning, in Sunday school from children, youth, and adults, we are all studying the same topic. We're all studying the same passages together. And today we looked at uh, the life of Moses and his calling at, as we've been referred to this morning, the burning bush, where God called him to go back to Egypt and to bring his people a minimum of 600,000, maybe a couple million. There's different opinions on that. We can talk about that later, but a large group of people to bring them from Egypt to the promised land. Moses, whose life is broken down into three 40-year periods. Zero to 40 in Pharaoh's court, growing up as a part of royalty. We looked at this last week. And power and wealth and prestige and training and education. And then 40 years in the wilderness, being a shepherd and caring for his father-in-law's flock. The last 40-year block will be taking the children of Israel uh, to the border of the promised land. Today's lesson, uh, when, when Moses, at 80 years old, as we saw this morning, was called by God to go back to Egypt, bring his people out, uh, and I've told you this many times, but I, I still I think still think it's great, one of the greatest books titles ever penned, I believe, was Jill Briscoe, 
back in the 70s, I think it was, and wrote the book, Here Am I, Send Aaron. Okay? Uh, it always sticks with me. Here am I, send Aaron. And as we saw this morning, Moses pretty well just flat out said, after he ran out of excuses, God, I'm not going. Send somebody else. I'm not going. I'm not doing this. And of course, God got angry with him. And um, we looked at our class in Sunday school this morning. I, it doesn't say you know, that Moses saw anything different. Someone in our class suggested maybe the burning bush really blew up at that point or something. It was the tone of voice. It was something that Moses got it. And he ran out and there was no more excuses. And, uh, and, and, he, and he gave in to God's will and he went back. He goes back and he approaches Pharaoh and, of course, announces, um, I need to take these people. This is a slave population. Their economy is built on this. I mean, this is important. This is not a small matter. To go back to the most powerful man on earth and say, I'm taking a big chunk of your economy and your manpower, your free slave labor, and I'm taking them and we're leaving. So in chapter 5 this morning, I want you to look at, we'll look at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. And remember that Pharaoh is worshipped in Egypt as a god. He is a, he is a deity. You have to worship Pharaoh. They went to Pharaoh and they said, This is what the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel says. Let my people go. So they may hold a hog. Actually, if you've been reading the news recently, you'll notice in the Middle East, uh, Muslim people are on a hajj. The Hebrew and the Muslim languages, of course, are our sister tongues. And it's a hog. It's a festival. It's a festival of celebration and worship. It's a journey, a festival. I want to take them. I need to take them on a hog. We're going to go hold a festival in the desert. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? Anytime you remember in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where you see L-O-R-D in those capital letters, the sort of small caps, that's the proper name for God. It's Y-H-W-H, however that was pronounced. You know, we, the best, we think it was probably something like Yahweh. When you see L, capital L, and small O-R-D, it's Adonai, it means master. And so, um, anytime you see that word, it's the personal name of God. He says, he says, the Lord, his name, Yahweh, Yahweh has, has called us to take the people away. And Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. You see, you notice that it, in the Old Testament, you're not going to find a, a man like Pharaoh saying, there's no such thing as Yahweh. There's no God of the Israelites. There's no God of the Hebrews. That, that doesn't matter. There are no atheists, really, in this culture. They, they all believed in God. It's just that they believed in their gods were more powerful than your gods. And it was evident by who won, uh, whose crops were the best. Uh, who's, who brought the rain? Uh, they don't have to debate that, sure, that's fine, Israel's got a God. That's fine, but I've never heard of him. And who is he, anyway, that he thinks that this God of yours thinks he's more powerful than me, I'm a God, as Pharaoh, and our gods, that we should let you go? Who, who is he? And then they said, verse 3, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take this three-day hog, this three-day journey, to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. And our first why this morning, first why, 
the king of Egypt said to Moses and Aaron, Why? Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. And I just need this. You know, this is the story of Moses and the lessons we're studying are so well known to us. That those of us who grew up in church, at least, uh, we've been learning these stories since we were little. And But I want you just to pause and just consider for a minute how audacious this is. To think that this 80-year-old shepherd comes back. And remember when Joseph brought his brothers back to Egypt, he told them specifically, now when they ask you what you do, don't tell them you're shepherds. Because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. They were the lowest of the lowest class of society. And this 80-year-old shepherd comes back in his shepherd clothes, and he comes to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And how audacious to suggest he is just going to take these hundreds of thousands of slaves that their economy is built on, and they're just going to leave Egypt. I mean, how ridiculous a request. And it's hardly a request. It's more of a demand. How ridiculous. How impossible. How, how likely is this to happen? You know, as someone said this morning, less than zero if there's a possibility. There's no way. And Pharaoh says, why? Why, why, do you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You're taking the people away from their labor. You're building enthusiasm. You're building hope in these people. Moses has met with the elders of Israel. And we saw, and we saw this in class this morning. And, and, the, and, the, and the elders of Israel bowed down and, 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 they, and they worshiped and they said, yes, yes, we, we will go, Moses. And the word is spreading. And our first why this morning, why are you doing this, Moses? What, what are you thinking? This is not even this is not even worth bringing before us. Who do you think you are? And Moses said, "I'm nobody." And I'm sure Pharaoh's thinking, "You are nobody. Why why are you doing this?" And he, and he says, "Look at the, the people. Not only that, they're they're stopping work. They're lazy. Look at verse six. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people." You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and get their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. These people are lazy. They're thinking that they're just going to leave here. they got too much time on their hands. They're lazy. They think they're going to go sacrifice to their God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. And the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go, get your own straw, whatever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. And the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for use as straw. And the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day. Just as when you had straw, the Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten. And they were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? We have three groups of people here. We have the slaves, the Jewish slaves, the Hebrew slaves. We have the Hebrew foremen who have been appointed over the slaves. And then you've got the Egyptian taskmasters. 
And the foremen are now at the point where it's got, it's got so desperate that because they're not getting enough straw, they're getting beaten, physically beaten, because of this impossible request that you have to produce the same amount of bricks as you used to produce, but now you have to go find the straw that we used to provide for you. When we were in Africa, uh, Ken Parker's here today. Ken and Ruth Parker are here. Where are you? I think I saw you there somewhere. There you are. Uh, Ken and Ruth um, are with us today. We went to Africa with Ken and Ruth in 1998, and uh, we had a chance to teach. Uh, Ken told me this morning, this is his wife's birthday, and he said, I could take you anywhere in the world you want to go. And she wanted to come here today. How do you like that? Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, they have grandchildren here too. But that's the. But we went together to Africa, and uh, we were there for three weeks, and uh, we did some teaching at a, at a conference and so on. I remember one of the first things we saw when we got there. Dan Moyer took us out, and um, they were building. The, they were building the church. The, the group from Spokane did the physical labor. We were doing teaching. And then they also built the pastor's house, and they had these other buildings. And we went and visited this, it was a kiln. It was like this big brick oven. And the bricks were like, you know, about this big probably. And they were made from the dirt. And in this particular case, in Zambia, it was the dirt from the anthills that was the most productive in making bricks. And so they would go to get the dirt from the anthills, form these bricks, and they built this big kiln, a big oven. And they fired it with logs. You know, they put logs in there. They burned it. And the kiln burned for several days. And then when it finished burning, it cooled for several days. And then after it was completely cool, they took the kiln apart. That was the bricks. The bricks were the oven. And the bricks were the bricks that were the staple of their building. Everything that our our people built there, our missionaries and the, the pastors and so on, the buildings were built out of these bricks. And I really got a sense of this um, old, you know, the, the world that this, this is here, that this brick making. And in this particular case, the straw is the binder in these bricks that they're using. Everything is made of bricks. Everything. Wood is very scarce. Everything is made of brick. And so the first why, the, 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 the Pharaoh, his first question basically is, why Yahweh? Why? What do you think? What do you think? How is this possible that you think you're going to take my economy and just leave? Why? We're going to see this man, Pharaoh. We're going to see him hardening, and really the Hebrew word is strengthening his heart against God. We're going to see this in the next week with the, with the, the contest really between, between Yahweh and Pharaoh. And we see, we're going to see 20 times that his heart is hardened. It's strengthened against God. Ten times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Ten times it says God hardened his heart. Who was responsible? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? Yes. (laughs) We have to leave it there. You know, there are some questions we have. Why? We know from uh, the New Testament. We know from Romans chapter 9, particularly it says, the Apostle Paul says, in speaking of a sovereign God, he says in chapter 9, he reminds, he reminds his people that through Paul, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, from the very, this very purpose, 
that I might display my power in you and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And it's a quote from Exodus chapter 9, which we're going to see in the next week here. But God flat out says, I, I have done this. Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. And yet Pharaoh hardens and strengthens. Why? Why? You know, I think one of the best descriptions, one of the commentators I was looking at this week made this comment. I think this is, this is uh, you know, Pharaoh's character became his destiny. Pharaoh's character. He was responsible. He strengthened his heart against God. It was his destiny. God strengthened and hardened his heart. Why should he do this? The second why. The second why in this story comes in verse 15. Then the Israelite foremen, these were the men, these were the Jewish men over the Jewish slaves who were getting beat. And they went and they appealed to see to Pharaoh. They begged Pharaoh, why? Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw. Yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. And you must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble. That's an understatement. Okay, A little softer in the English and Hebrew. They were, their life was at stake. When they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. Why? Why? Why are you doing this, Pharaoh? Why? What happened? Why are you doing this? Why have you put us in such... We, we were getting along okay. We were building. We were slaves. We were making bricks. You were getting bricks. You provided straw. What happened? Why? Well, the answer, of course, they realize it all kind of gets put together. It all kind of comes together when they leave Pharaoh's presence... And in verse 19, the Israelite foremen realize they were in trouble when they are told this. And as they leave, in verse 20, they left Pharaoh and they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And you put the picture, you see, Moses and Aaron know that the things are going bad. Things are really going bad. And the foremen go in for an audience with Pharaoh, which you have to arrange. You just don't show up in Pharaoh's court. And Moses and Aaron know what's going on. And they're, and they're waiting outside. They're waiting for the report. They're waiting for that door to close. How, how did it go? What, are we going? Is, is he letting us go? Is he, what happened? And they come out and they see Moses and Aaron standing there. And look what they say in verse 21. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench. Again, the word is much stronger in the Hebrew. We are a rotten smell. Pharaoh is sick of us. We stink to him and his officials. And they have put a sword in their hand to kill us. These are the foremen who are getting physically beaten because of Moses and Aaron's request. First, why? Pharaoh says, why? Why would I do this? Why would I let these people go? Why would I listen to Yahweh? The second, why? Pharaoh, why are you doing this to us? What, what's going on? What's changed? What's happened? And all of a sudden they realize when they walk out and they see Moses and Aaron and they realize, aha, 
It's you. Why did you come back here and do this? Why did you go to Pharaoh? You, you, our lives are at stake. He is going to kill us. Why did you do this? And you know, as I look at this passage, I think this is the crisis moment right here. This is the crisis moment. Think back of our study last week. Last week when Moses had come to the conclusion that God was going to use him to save his people. Remember that? We saw that in the, in the sermon from Stephen and we saw it in Hebrews that Moses thought they would realize and he, and he killed that Egyptian. He crossed over to the other side willingly, went over to his people to join them, made a public proclamation that I am coming to help you. And he acts on it by killing an Egyptian. And then when he confronts his Hebrew brothers who are fighting, what happens? They reject him. Stephen says that. We looked at that. They rejected Moses. They rejected him. They said, who made you a judge? His life was at stake. He was afraid. And he left. And now he's back. He's finally come back. He gave in to God. When God finally said, Moses, I'm so angry with you that I'm going to use your brother Aaron, you are going back there. He goes back. He does what God tells him to do. The Israelite leaders agree to it. Everything's looking great. And all of a sudden now, his own people have turned on him once again. This is the crisis moment. What does he do? What should he do? I wonder if he wasn't tempted to leave again. I wonder if he wasn't tempted to say, God, okay, you called me. I did it. It didn't work. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm going back to Midian where I came from. This is the crisis moment. The second why. Pharaoh, why are you doing this? Aha, it's you, Moses. We know why he's doing this. It's you. Verse 22 is our third why this morning. Moses goes back to the Lord, Yahweh, returned to Yahweh, and he said, O Lord, Adonai, why have you brought trouble upon this people in this way you have sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, To speak in your name. He has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not. Think of this. He's talking to God. You have not rescued your people at all. I mean, think of this. This is the same Moses who God got angry with when he refused him. And whatever happened, he got the picture. And he comes to God and he confronts God and says, God, and the word trouble here is too soft. It's the word ra'ah, it's the word for evil. It's primary, it's primary, the most often it's used in the Old Testament is evil. You have brought evil on your people, God. Why are you doing this? Why? Why are you doing this? Why did you send me back here and your people are getting beat? You told me I could, that I would go to Pharaoh and they would go and not only have you not let them go, not only have you not rescued them, You're letting them get beat and they're turned on me. God, why have you done this? Now, you know, when we we read this, you know, I have to say, Moses maybe forgot this or maybe it was convenient to read. But in chapter 4, verse 21, when Moses was called to go back to Egypt, God told him. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 4, verse 21, we saw it this morning, maybe in your class. 
When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But, but, I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn and I told you, let my people go so he may worship. But you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. God told Moses, he's not going to let you go. In fact, he's not going to let you go till I kill his firstborn son. Evidently, Moses has conveniently forgot this. And he comes and he challenges God. Why, God, are you doing this? Why are you bringing evil? You know, everybody's got uh, someone to blame here, right? The Pharaoh blames the, the, the Hebrews for being lazy. The Hebrews blame their taskmaster. The taskmasters, foremen blame the taskmasters. They come back and they blame Pharaoh. And now they blame Moses. And Moses goes and has a very honest conversation with God and blames God. That's what he's doing. He is blaming God for everything that's gone wrong in this scenario. I want you to stop and just consider this for a moment. Uh, this is a tradition. This is kind of a... In fact, there's a book by one of the rabbis I wrote some years ago called Arguing with God. If you think about it, it's kind of a tradition in the Old Testament and in, in, of God's people. Um, remember the book of Job. Probably the oldest book in the Bible. Probably written during the time of Abraham. And what is it basically? Is God, why, why was I even born? What did I do to deserve this? Why, why was I born? Why, I'd been better off if you had just killed me at birth. And he questions God and questions God and questions God until God finally says, okay, okay, uh, Job, stop. I want you to listen to me now for a minute. Abraham, when he came to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy those cities. Their evilness and it's come up like a stench before me. And I, and I have to judge. And, and what does Abraham do? He bargains with God. God, if there's 50 people, okay. 40 people, okay. 30 people, okay. 20 people, alright. God, one more time. Don't get angry with me. But would you really do this for 10 people? Okay, Abraham, you find 10 people. The prophet, Jonah, who refused to go to the Assyrians because he knew, we find out at the very end, he says, I knew this would happen. I knew if I proclaimed your name and I knew if I preached to them and they repented, I knew you would forgive them. And they were Israel's number one enemy. In fact, they are the nation that 40 years later destroyed his people. The ten tribes. And, and Jonah says, I knew you were going to do this. And he got mad. He got mad at God. And he sat under that plant that grew over and gave him shade. And he got mad when the plant went down. And God says, Jonah, is this okay? And several of the prophets. God, why did you send me? Why did you send me these people? They're not listening. Why did you do this? The Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross of Calvary. What did he cry out? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this? And you know, I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As he continues in this uh, tradition 
of his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he comes to the Lord. He, he, he records this for the people of Corinth. And he talks about his situation. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. I received revelation from God. There was given me what? A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know. Some think it was his eyesight. Some We, we don't know. There's a lot of possibilities. He doesn't tell us. But he does say this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take this away. And that's strong language, friends. This is not three times that, that you know, it was his prayer before breakfast and say, oh, by the way, God, could you take this away? He begged God. He begged God. He pleaded with God. He struggled in prayer and, and, and said three times he just came to God and says, God, why not? Why not take this away? You've sent me to the Gentile world. I'm trying to, I'm doing what you told me to do. Okay, I'm getting beat every place I go. I'm going in jail. I don't know what's going to stand, but why do you keep doing this to me? Why don't you just take this away? It would be so much better. You could do this. And God's response. And the interesting thing about these responses, I want to suggest to you, is I've looked at these characters in the Bible, Abraham, Jonah, Job, David in the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Read David's outpouring cry where he asked God, why are you doing these things? Why, why am I being hunted like an animal? Why, 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 why? And when Jesus on the cross said, God, why have you forsaken me? In none of the cases do you find God responding in anger. God never yells at these people. Now, God got angry with Moses when he refused, right? When Moses says, God, uh, send someone else. And it says, God's anger burned against him. Maybe the bush blew up. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But in these other cases, God does not get angry. God does not yell at these people. God does not burn at these people. But his answer is generally something like this. And Look at Job. God never even answered him. When Job said, why? God just said, Job, where were you when I did all this? Who, who are you to question me? He never told them. Oh, let me tell you now. Satan came and asked for permission. He never told them that. There was no answer at the cross of Calvary. There was no voice. There was no voice that said, This is my son, whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. It was silent. It was silent. And Paul got an answer. And it says this in verse 9. But he said to me, Paul, here's my here's here's my answer to your why. My grace is enough. We have a song like that, right? My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, okay, I get it. In fact, I'm going to boast, whatever this messenger Satan was, Paul says, I'm going to brag about it. I'm going to boast about it. Because it just goes to show, it's not me. It's not my great rabbinical learning. It's not my scholarship. It's not my oratory. It's all about God. I want to ask you this morning. Is it okay 
Is it okay? Is it okay to have honest conversation with God? Is that okay? You know, as pastor, because we have these conversations with people as pastor, I hear this often. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you. Um, this is the first time, but you know, I, I really ask God why. Why are you doing this? I've had these conversations with some of you. Why? Why? And, and of course, as pastor, I'm not any different from you. I have the same conversations. Why? Why, God? You, you could do this. You could do this. Why don't you? We have these conversations. Is it okay to have these conversations with God in your life? Is it okay to ask questions? I want to suggest to you this morning that I think it is. I, I think in reverence, in reverence, to, to be able to be open and honest with God, He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. And as children, you know, the thing that changes in life, I had children, but my, now my children have their own children. And they have, you know, I have grandchildren. Uh, and, and about a week from now, um, we're going to have number 12 grandchild. And Teresa's brother in England pointed out to her, you've got to get a 12th man jersey for that child. <laughs> You, you, it's your, it's, we have, it's number 12. It's a girl. It's number 12. So she's got two or three. All right. <laughs> the baby hasn't been born yet, but it's going to have 12, 12 men or 12 person something, jerseys, onesies or something. So we go through those changes, but you know, with God, we are always his children. He will always be our father. And we are always learning. And because we are always learning, and because we are always walking with Him, if you've never come in your life and asked God, why? I want to suggest you probably will. And I also want to suggest, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to ask God. Say, it's, it's, it's God, why? God, can we talk? <laughs> Why do I keep having this problem? I, I thought by now this would be not part of my life anymore. Why do I have this messenger of Satan? Why, why don't you take it away? You could do this. Why do you let this person struggle with this illness? You could take it away if you chose to. I, I've heard these. I know other people. Why do I have to go through this at work? Why, why do I have to have this relationship that just doesn't seem to work? Why do I keep having these dark thoughts and these difficult times? Why, God? I mean, if we can't go to God and ask why, who can we go to? Why, God? I invite you uh, to join in, in, in uh, half of my heritage on my dad's side in this tradition that comes from the Jewish side. And, and, ask, and, and Moses says, God, why did you do this? And here's the answer. Let's close with this. Here's the answer. And I want to suggest to you, friends, this is always the answer. This is always 
the answer. This is always the answer. And we find it in God's response. And I love this. I love this. You know, this, this, is, this is our God. He doesn't yell at Moses. He doesn't get mad at Moses. His anger doesn't burn. In chapter 6 and verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to emphasize a word here. This is always the answer. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched hand and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as possession. I am Yahweh. You get it? This is always the answer. This was the answer that Paul got. God, you could take this away. Why don't you? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made strong in your weakness. Therefore, be glad. Be glad that I care enough about you that we can have these conversations. And I care enough about you as a father that you are part of my story. And the story is going to unfold before us. And guys, coming up, we're going to close our service with a final song. The story that's going to unfold before us as we continue in Exodus is simply this. God's name is going to be glorified, not Moses. Pharaoh is going to learn, and the Egyptians, who the real God is. Moses is going to learn it's not about him, it's God. And the Israelites are going to learn he is their God. And the only way this can be accomplished is by taking them down the path he has chosen and as they ask along that path, why God? The answer is, because it is about me, what I am doing, and what I am doing for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being called by your name. Lord, we know from the Scriptures that after Moses was buried by you, he was known as a man who knew God face to face. What an amazing thing. Knew God face to face. Knew you face to face. 
And we have the privilege of opening your word and seeing how you led him, how he grew, how he changed, how his faith and leadership developed, and how he learned humility. And how he learned, God, that it was it was you and not him. And Father, we've just sung that we will follow you. We we dare not think we can lead you or lead your ways. And we just come this morning, I come to you this morning, Father, as just a human being saved by your grace. And we humble ourselves, I humble myself today, Lord, and just say thank you. That for every reason, you have called us to be your children. And given us the wonderful privilege of learning to follow you. And to live life. Think of it, Lord, that you've called us to live a life that pleases you, our holy and wonderful God. We raise our hearts in thankfulness and joy and humility today. And walk out of here, Lord, and not leave you here. But follow you in Christ, our wonderful, beautiful, loving Savior's name, we pray. Amen.